what we're going to see supply chains being more stressed in the future is they always like to put in guardrails around the solution rather than making assumptions and putting the guardrails around how they manage their supply chain. People need to be more transparent, enabling more transparency across the supply chain with your customers, with your suppliers is going to assist them to build a stronger foundation. Welcome to the Future of Supply Chain podcast. My name's Richard Howells. I'm a Vice President for Thought Leadership for SAP's ERP, Finance and Supply Chain Solutions. And I'm joined by my co-host, Nicole. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Smythe, and I'm a marketer, blogger, and of course, podcaster in the supply chain space here at SAP. So today we're joined by our guest, Tushar Bala, Chief Technology Officer from CloudPaths, to discuss how risk resiliency has become the underlying theme of 2023 and how companies are continuing to transform to be more agile. So welcome to Shar. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you on the series. So if you could just take a moment to introduce yourself, give some insight into your past experiences and of course your role today. Thanks Richard and Nicole. Hi everyone, my name is Tushar Villa. I'm representing CloudPaths here today. Been actively involved in the supply chain domain, assisted over 30 plus customers in their supply chain planning and execution processes. Currently, I have the responsibility of leading the digital supply chain practice at CloudPuts, as well as being the CTO of the company, where I'm also working on other technology areas, which could help customers drive a customer 360 view, as well as financial integrations. Again, in my current role, I collaborate with the customers to kind of what their key challenges in the supply chain are and offer them the suitable solutions in the SAP technology space. So over the last three years, since the start of the COVID pandemic, I can't believe it's three years. It seems like an eternity ago that it started. I don't think I had any gray hair at the time. (laughs) We've been under much pressures and stress and the term permacrisis has been used. So in your opinion, how can companies build resiliency into their supply chains to prepare for and respond to future disruptions? So again, I think from COVID, what it has exposed to us is the vulnerabilities that we had left in our supply chain over the last decades of years, right? When we did not address some things when they had to be addressed. So COVID started off with 2020 to give us a lot of production and transportation disruptions all over the place where people could not go out, plants could not open up. And that made us go into a frenzy over a surging demand Again, later part of that year and up into 2021, as I like to call it, the year of surging demands. And then that counted itself into a year of component shortages or raw material shortages across the world, right? So every year since COVID, we've seen this effect of the new supply chain issues surfacing across the board, right? And today we are in the issue of dealing with rising material cost and also available inventory. Right, A lot of customers today are worried about how much inventory do they have on hand and what they have to really buy to meet their future demands, the rising cost in that and how do they make it palatable for the market. So overall companies have built a lot of resiliency over the last two to three years in their supply chain, but there is a long way to go in terms of diversifying the suppliers or improving more visibility and transparency across the supply chain stream. Right. Absolutely. 
Well, I think going back to what Richard said, I think being in supply chain over the past three years will cause anyone to get gray hairs just from the amount of stress that people were under and the amount of stress that supply chains itself were under. So no matter the level of stress, long-term pressure can be detrimental to the health of a system, you know, even on an individual level like one's body or on a larger scale like an organization's supply chain. So therefore, to follow up on your previous insight that you just said, what long-term effects do you see from supply chains being under such stress? And what changes would you like to see moving into the future to build a stronger foundation? So I think from an overall perspective, right, and we all talk about bullwhip effects in supply chain, I would like to call this kind of a reverse bullwhip effect that we are going to be facing, right? It started with COVID and it's going to deplete itself all the way going into the couple of years in the future, right? What we're going to see supply chains being more stressed in the future is they always like to put in guardrails around the solution rather than making assumptions and putting the guardrails around how they manage their supply chain. People need to be more transparent, enabling more transparency across the supply chain with your customers, with your suppliers is going to assist them to build a stronger foundation, right? And then also to add to that, we all plan today based on numbers, right? Supply chains are looking out in future. We are planning for a certain number. What helps customers to plan for is the confidence level on those numbers. I saw you presented a recent event, actually, and you were sharing the stage with an executive from Blue Diamond Growers who explained the work that you've been doing with SAP, Blue Diamond Growers and CloudPath to completely transform and digitize Blue Diamond Growers supply chains. So in working with them, what are some of the takeaways and strategies that other companies can take from their success in building a resilient and digital end-to-end supply chain? Yeah, Blue Diamond has been an interesting journey, Richard, so far. They have actually accomplished planning to execution, to warehouse management and transportation, all different areas, right? And they have tackled it with an approach where they just don't want to give the importance to a shorter term scenario or more execution level, but also bring in visibility into a longer term in the supply chain, right? Because in their type of business, which is in agricultural, harvests are happening on a yearly basis, right? So they need to go out in the longer term and address the situations that are going to happen in the future. So one of the things that they've been working very effectively on the defining the importance of the warehouse capacity, the transportation capacity, and other things into their planning process, which in a lot of cases, companies don't look at those as kind of the constraints into their planning scenarios, as well as developing an importance across the board of capabilities of scenario planning and looking ahead in the supply chain planning five years, seven years out, right? So those are some of the capabilities that provide them more long-term visibility into the supply chain, as well as collaboration with their suppliers to get more accurate signals from the suppliers and what the availability of the different raw materials and packaging materials would be. Just as a follow-on from that, you say they have long-term plans, but the raw materials, they know when they're going to be harvested because it's the same time every year. During the pandemic, how would they have planned to better manage that inventory and get the goods to where they needed to be across that supply chain when there were challenges with logistics, there were challenges with manufacturing and having the people in the facilities? 
So they have actually like, and again, just to give a background, they're a grower cooperative, right? So which means all the growers would actually bring in the almonds, whatever has been harvested. So from a supply standpoint, they have a constant crop supply, which is going to come in. What they need to do is kind of reach it to your point, plan on where to house that, where to manufacture them based on the available capacity that they were falling short on plants not being able to operate, right, in the initial months of the pandemic. And then leading into the following year, when we were stretched by the transportation or the global constraints on the shipyard availability and the availability on carriers, right, and they're a big international supplier as well, right, for almonds. So that brought them down to constraining them in some of those challenges. And this journey over the last year or two has been also very focused on building efficiency in that transportation capacity planning process, which was overlooked, right? In the past, you would actually call up a carrier and say, I have five containers to put on it and it would go. That's not the case anymore. You need to book well way ahead in advance and being able to reserve the capacity at the yard. Everybody wants the capacity to be confirmed because of the limited availability of the carriers as well as the labor shortages. So all those things put together have caused them to look at this thing way ahead in time and then to start adopting too. And they have been in a very advanced mode. They were already planning on some of these things over the years. And this has just expedited their journey into developing these resiliency built into their model. And I think that's true of most companies that I talk to, at least, and I'm sure that you talk to, that, I mean, you're planning in the perfect world environment, but as we all know, things don't go according to plan. And having the ability to be able to respond to those changes, to adjust the plan, to identify alternate logistics providers, for example, if you need to, to get new transportation to move the goods to different places, all become part of the equation as the clock speed of supply chains get faster and faster. Are you seeing that in companies? That's correct. Yes. It's a trend that we are seeing across the countries where they're trying to bring in as much of the visibility into the supply chain to handle any unexpected disruptions like these or even natural disasters or economic crises, right? So we're dealing with customers where they have trade tariffs restrictions that are going up in the last few years due to geopolitical situations. And they want to basically bring in those restrictions because they had not built their supply chains where you have a country of origin restriction. Yeah. So one of the tech and semiconductors companies that we work with would have things like country of origin restrictions because there are certain countries in case of their geopolitical situations cannot actually trade goods between them. Right. So those things are becoming more and more evident now as part of the supply chain. It's becoming very individualistic supply chain to certain networks. So rather than becoming global supply chains, anything can be available anywhere. Things are being learned that we can actually get these disruptions due to changing climate, changing weather or geopolitical events and even the economic situations that are coming one more question. Are you seeing that type of data being leveraged and fed into the business systems, the weather patterns, the traffic delays? Are you seeing those fed into the planning systems now or people looking to feed those into the planning systems? 
So a couple of other areas that we're working Richard, with companies are to bring in this importance of this data into their supply chain planning processes. So example of high-tech semi, where we have actually leveraged what's the economic indicators, what's the price of gold value actually somehow referred to us as being evident on how the gaming machines would work. So it's basically bringing that information is also helpful. We're working with Blue Diamond on also an initial proof of concept along with their teams to bring in crop forecasting information, which mm -hmm. is basically being able to forecast the crop. And this year, what has been our biggest point of discussion out in California, when we see tremendous amount of rain, which was out of pattern, which causes them a significant impact on what the harvest is going to look like, right? And what does it do to the following years, right? So it's all things that are being considered as part of the supply chains for the future. And this data set definitely brings a lot of added value. Mm -hmm. That's great. And I think Blue Diamond's situation is so interesting. I love hearing stories about them because from what you've all said, their profitability spiked during the pandemic because, you know, people were out hiking more, they want to go outside and trail mix almonds go hand in hand with hiking. I can attest at times because I certainly get hungry on the trail, but it is so interesting because it shows how integral the supply chain is, because if that can't keep up with that demand, you're going to lose that profitability no matter what, even if your customers are there and they want what you're selling. So it's so interesting. But as we've seen over the pandemic, now that that is top of mind with supply chains, we've seen and heard so many companies that have completely transformed their infrastructure, both physically and in warehousing manufacturers, things like that, but also internally within their organization to promote that sustainable way of working and producing and transporting. So given it's such a critical topic in the supply chains of the future, what are other examples of companies that have built that resiliency and sustainability into their supply chain process? Overall, I think the importance of sustainability, I would say, is the top of the mind of the future supply chain mm -hmm. leaders, right? It was a topic that was gaining some momentum over the last few years. I think over this year, we are seeing them starting to give a lot more importance to what's the environmental or social or governance factors that we can actually reduce the risk in the supply chain and make the supply chains more efficient, mm -hmm. right? Along with creating a long-term value for their organization. So what we are seeing the suppliers from a supply chain st standpoint do is leaders actually looking at what's the sustainable sourcing practices, right? Are their suppliers using sustainable sourcing practices or not? And having that information being brought in. Along with that, there has been a lot more focus on optimizing the cost, but also optimizing the sustainability measures, right? So they're not just focused on cost reductions, but also sustainability. If it basically requires you to transport something further down, you're not creating a more sustainable way, right? So they're looking at those things as well, rather than just looking at cost as the only measure. Mm -hmm. Building more sustainable supply chains by, by conserving water. Water is one of our measures that we look at, right? Mm -hmm. Like certain customers. It's important to that industry. We work with wineries as well as mm -hmm. almonds and water food. So conserving water and reducing any waste mm -hmm. that goes in. In taking an example of a paint company that has to basically look at how they can actually reduce their overall 
waste footprint that they generate sometimes, right? So they are creating some practices in there, which would actually, from a packaging material standpoint, reduce the amount of waste that's going to go. So it's coming at all different areas. Yeah, that's great. And I'm sure being in California, like you said, lots of wineries. So I'm very interested in that. We'll have to talk about that another time because I'm certainly a fan of that. (laughs) But it is so interesting because I feel like growing up, you know, sustainability was always put on an individual level. There was that song, Reduce, Reuse, Recycle, that was always playing on Disney Channel or some type of news. And they're like, make sure you don't use plastic. Don't do this. But I think it's so interesting to see how it's now gone from an individual level, like I said, to kind of a top-down level in organizations. And it really has become such a critical idea and topic that especially executives are now addressing. So tying into that, how are supply chain leaders addressing the importance of sustainability and the resilience strategies? I think a lot of them are putting in measurable reporting metrics around Mm -hmm. this. They call in terms of promoting the transparency and accountability with their suppliers as mm-hmm. well as their customers. Mm-hmm. So there are some measures that a lot of supply chain leaders are putting in. They're encouraging suppliers and stakeholders, right, from a customer standpoint. There are preferences that have been starting to be given to a more sustainable supplier versus the others, right? Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a lot of that coming up in different streams of areas. We're seeing even from a customer, from like when you're going out to selling a customer, from the sales team's perspective, even they're looking for, okay, what's our own sustainability matrix that we can actually put as part of our proposal that will give us the benefits, right? So it's coming top down within the supply chain from sales all the way to procurement. Also, there is a lot of encouragement around circularity. We've been having some discussions with other companies in terms of who make pallets and other things. So how to minimize the waste and optimize the resource usage more and more and how to make the products design. And it goes all the way from the design principles of these products. So it's designed to operate is what we say, but it operate can also go back and feed up into the design mode for us. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing the supply chain leaders looking at it holistically and Creating measures and KPIs around that is what they've been developing in the last few years. I think we're seeing more of that coming into action now. Do you see that they have the data available to make those decisions? I saw a survey recently and it said that 93% of companies have set sustainability goals, but only about 60, 63% have the data available to capture and record actual sustainability numbers. So the challenge becomes not just within your own organization, but as you mentioned, working with your suppliers and your suppliers' suppliers, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And that's where these systems, Richard, will help provide the visibility that they need, right? And this data has been a gap. And I think the biggest key to the success here is building these strong relationships with the suppliers and stakeholders to promote this type of collaboration and communication across the board. And that's where I think as The point comes, the data availability is 60%, but as more companies are actually trying to make recommendations or mandatory KPIs for suppliers to provide this information, this is going to, like we see it from a future standpoint, provides that level of visibility across the supply chain. So I think the key to this, Richard, is going to be building those strong relationships with the suppliers and stakeholders to promote the collaboration for this data set, right? And I think incentivizing the suppliers that are investing in 
providing this data because this data is not available even with the suppliers and they have to make the relevant investment in their technology and data analytics space to be able to provide this information. So I think that's where incentivizing the suppliers is what we see as a trend, where if you share this information, there are incentives, rebates and other things that are going to be factored in. So the companies are taking this as the approach and also diversifying and also looking at different suppliers and reducing the dependencies is also a key factor. I like that factor that you just said about um, make, making it a win-win because it's got to be a carrot and a stick. There's got to be something in it for everybody. The ultimate forcing factor will be the regulatory bodies who are going mm. to demand that information of everybody dealt through the supply chain. So I think we're going to get there one way or the other. Yes. We see, I think in Europe, right, we see that the plastic tax and other things that are coming up and that will actually require the suppliers to put those informations yep. there, right? So yes, I think the regulatory bodies are definitely going to help in getting this information. I think that's mm -hmm. another example where the business systems really help as well, because the plastics tax that you're talking about, there's different mm -hmm. rules and regulations country by country in Europe at the moment. So in the UK, it's one rule for taxing and in Spain it's another and as more countries bring those in until there's a European wide one or a global wide rule how do you keep up with those regulations unless you've got a business system that is doing that for you that's pulling the data together based on those regulations mm -hmm. Absolutely. so we're coming to the end of the podcast and we ask everybody this question so I've got one more question for you we're talking about the future of supply chain and you're dealing and speaking to companies every day. I know you're speaking to companies every day because it's been really difficult to schedule this podcast with you because you've been out at customers' sites. So in your experience, what do you see as the future of supply chain? So I think the future of supply chain is going to be very data-driven, right? With a lot of decision-making capabilities. But the objective that everybody is going to be trying to work with is going to be optimizing the cost and sustainability together. So that's kind of the direction that I would give is, yes, we are going to see a lot of surgence of data-driven models, which would actually provide us the availability of all this data to make decisions on, as well as the intelligence models that are coming up for us to actually leverage this data to make better decisions, right? So it's very data-driven. Collaboration across is also a key element of that data. If we don't collaborate with our suppliers or our stakeholders, our customers, or other trading partners, right? It does not give us that information. We're seeing more and more end-to-end -end collaboration. I see customers actually collaborating with three level down on their supply chain from a customer standpoint, right? They want to talk to their ship to, sold to, but also down to end customer or who's going to be actually using the product, right? So I've been working with customers on those use cases. Yeah, because they want to get closer to their customer's customer in those cases. They've got to see how they're thinking and what they're demanding. And it's more configurational supply chain as we go forward, Richard. I think in some cases, in some industries, we're seeing it becoming very individual supply chains versus a general mass production of goods. So it's becoming more configurable supply chain where things could be changed very frequently. I think the only thing that we can be sure of is 
whatever's happening now, it'll be different in the future and it's going to change. It's keeping us all in business and in a job, that's for sure, keeping yes. us busy. I'll keep you guys in the loop. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tishat, thanks for a great conversation and thanks for sharing your insights. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Richard. And thanks, Nicole. And th thanks, everyone, for listening. Please mark us as a favourite and you can get regular updates and information about future episodes. So until next time, from Tishar, Nicole and I, thank you for discussing the future of supply chains.